Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church family. Um, Hey, if you don't know me first, I'm Olivia. I'm a pastor of Generational Ministries here, and it is really good to be with you this morning. So just for a second, I want to acknowledge that we did not dismiss the kids, and that was actually on purpose this time. So our kids are going to be in the room with us this morning. So hi, kids. Hi, it's good to have you here. Can we just celebrate our kids and VBS and all the good things that happened this week? Yeah. So hey, kids, um, let me just talk to you for just a second, okay? Because I'm sure if you were like me when I was your age, you were nervous that the person in front would talk forever. And that is not my plan. Um, So just relax. We're going to get through it together. It's going to be good, okay? Um, So I just want to see, I'm going to, again, kids, talk to you for just a second. And adults, you can listen too. Um, But I just want to tell you about some things um, from when I was a kid. So, and see if maybe you can relate. So I'm going to ask a question. Kids, do you like being told what to do? That's right. It is tough. And that was, I relate to that, okay? I was never really good at being told what to do, okay? Um, I can think of countless times, stories in my life, where I just was blatantly disobedient because I just didn't want to do what I was told. Um, My parents would ask me to do something and I wouldn't listen. I'm not telling you to do that. Um, I'm just saying I relate to that. And so as I got older, like teenage years, it got even more special because it wasn't just that I didn't like to be told what to do. I like to make a point out of my disobedience, okay? So there is this one story in particular that I'm going to tell you guys about. And it was when I was in high school and I wanted to go to a friend's house to spend the night. And my mom told me I could go as soon as I cleaned the kitchen. And I did not ask for her permission to share this story. And so some things really never change. I'm sure she's losing it right now because it seems like this story is incriminating of her, but it's really on me. So just remember that. Okay. So I was like, okay, clean the kitchen as fast as I can. I race to clean the kitchen. I throw the dishes in the dishwasher. I wipe the counters off with like a rag that who knows how long it's been there, right? It's not clean. That's the point. Um, And so I'm like, it looks fine. Pack my bags. And I'm like, okay, mom, I'm ready to go. And so she um, walks out into the kitchen and Um, she was like, are you sure? Like, are you sure you cleaned? Um, And, you know, she was like, is it clean or is it clean, clean? And that's how we established, like, did you straighten it up or did you use products, you know? Um, And so I assured her it was clean, clean, and obviously she knew I was lying because it took me five minutes. So she tested me a little bit, and she was like, okay, if it's so clean, then why don't you lick the sink? And I was like, all right. And like I said, I like to make a point out of my disobedience. So I didn't just like lick it. I like licked it from one end to the other. And I was like, look how clean it is, mom. And so she was like, well, you did it. So I guess you can go. So I went to my friend's house and that was that. And I was like riding my high horse because I was like, I didn't do what I was told. And I still got by with it, right? And I am not making this up. That night, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was lurched awake by this terrible feeling in my stomach. And I was sure that it was food poisoning. I was sure it was like bad pulled pork 
from that night. And so I look over at my friend, and she's fine. She's totally fine. And as I was racing to the bathroom to avoid getting throw up on the white carpet, I realized it was probably because I licked the sink. It was probably because the sink wasn't clean. There was probably some bacteria on it, and it was messing with my stomach. And so I knew in my head that listening to my mom was always the best choice, but that day I learned it in my heart too, you know? that she was right, and if I would have been obedient from the start, none of this would have happened. And it was actually, like, it is funny, but it was actually a big teaching moment for me. You know, I have my own house now, and I I know, like, cleaning a sink really, like, you need to clean, clean it. You need to use the products to get the bacteria off to make it you know, a clean and safe environment. So I learned that from that experience, you know. I don't know if that's how my mom would have wanted me to learn, but it's how I learned. So here we are. Um, And now I can clean my kitchen counters and sink um, in confidence. So anyways, that's what we're talking about this morning, not clean kitchens or whatever. We're talking about good teaching moments, something that we can all learn from, right? So our story for this morning, our specific story, comes right on the heels of some really significant, incredible things in the book of Matthew. So you guys probably know, I've been up here a few times, I love stories. I love to tell you stories about myself. I love to talk about stories in scripture because I just think it's so easy to find ourselves in the midst of them, right? And so that's what we're going to do today. So We're going to start in Matthew 18, but I want to give you some context before we um, jump in. So right before our story for this morning in Matthew 18, Jesus does some really significant things, okay? So this all happens in chapter 17, right before our story. So the first thing he does is he takes a few of his disciples up onto a mountain, and we read about the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? Jesus transfigured before the disciples' eyes, right? And if you've never read this story, you really should, because it's a good one. It's one of my favorites. But the point is, the disciples, they see Jesus transfigure, um, literally change shape. They hear directly from God. And then, something even more crazy, they, um, they see Moses and Abraham in person, right? These men from the Old Testament who have died a long, long time ago. And so all this crazy stuff happens, and we see the disciples witness it, and they're in awe. They're impacted deeply by this experience, okay? And then after that, still in the same chapter, Jesus heals someone. He predicts his death and his resurrection, and he performs, like, another just crazy miracle. None of that is really relevant to what I'm talking about today, except... I want you to understand that Jesus has done some really big, important things right before we jump into our story. So if you have your copy of scripture, um, you can turn to Matthew 18 or follow along in the um, events page of our YouVersion app. So we're starting in 18.1, and we are just going to take it one step at a time um, and work through this passage together, okay? So verse 1 says this, about that time meaning after all of the miraculous things that Jesus has just done, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We're going to stop right there and take some inventory. So the disciples, they asked Jesus this question. They want to know how to achieve greatness in the kingdom of heaven. And I feel like I always say this, the disciples never cease to amaze me. 
For days, weeks, months, they have been watching Jesus do the unthinkable, right? They've watched him calm seas and walk on water and heal person after person. And if they've missed him, if they've missed him talking about serving and caring for others, they've certainly seen him model it in his actions, right? So my point is, they should know better probably than to ask this question. You know when you're sitting in class and someone asks a question that was just answered when that person wasn't paying attention, and like the whole room knows that's what happened except the person who asked. That's how I feel reading this verse of scripture. It feels awkward to me, like they've missed the last 17 chapters, and they're just now starting to pay attention. Because like we've established, Jesus does incredible things, and the disciples still want to know how to become the greatest. It's like, It feels like they're ignoring the fact that Jesus has really already won that battle, right? But Jesus, he doesn't shame them or mock them or make them feel dumb for asking this question. He just answers it in typical Jesus fashion. So we're going to pick up in verse 2, and it says this, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like the little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus gives two really clear instructions about entering into the kingdom of heaven. Turn from your sin and be like the little children. The first one is super clear. Turn from your sin. And this is what Pastor Billy talked about last week, right? Giving up our sin, denying our own self-indulgence to give room for God's desire in us, right? We talked about that. Um, And then the second instruction from Jesus is a a little less clear. He tells us to become like the little children. And we would be missing out. We'd be missing out if we didn't take some time to unpack what that meant for us. Why did Jesus use a child to teach the disciples a lesson? So we see Jesus actually pull a child into the conversation. And I'm going to just stop right there and say this should teach us a lesson right away. Jesus pulling a kid into the conversation speaks to the value of our children, kids in the room. This is like Jesus pulling you um, up on stage to teach us adults how we are to behave. So this is really important for you to hear this morning that Jesus knew the value that you brought to us then, and he knows the value that you bring to us today. That is important for you to hear and for us to hear. And let me just take a minute to shamelessly plug that this is very much the reason that we are a multi-generational church. We believe so much in our children, and we want um, to disciple them and, and create fun and safe spaces for them because Jesus taught us how much we should care about children. Listen, some of the hardest workers at Best Week ever this week were under the age of 13. Listen, you all did great. But these kids who were like four and five digging things out of the ground just blew my mind. It was incredible. These kids, kids, you guys, you are our glue. You're so important to uh, the whole church and to our church. You guys are so important. But I think there's also a couple things lying right below the surface of what Jesus is saying that will help us really understand what he's getting at. Listen, I don't have kids, but this is my experience working with students. Kids are like superstars at trusting. And this is something I've noticed specifically working with my middle schoolers. They have pretty good instincts. Like they, they pretty much know if they can trust you or not trust you pretty quick, but when they do decide they can trust you, they trust you like endlessly. 
right? And most of the time, this is a parent or a guardian or a mentor. But these kids, they trust these people to care for them, to provide for them. And they usually don't shy away from asking because they trust that what they're asking for will be provided or um, they know they're still going to be taken care of even if the answer is no. So we see kids have this trust and I think that's totally normal. And then on the other side, kids are also super faithful and I envy that in you guys, I really do. You guys, children, you don't have the answers to all the world's problems. We don't either, but we think we do sometimes. Kids, you don't, but you typically love your parents anyways. And it's normal for children to not get what they want, right, all the time. But that doesn't mean they stop loving the people that they trust. Love from a child is so often unconditional, and we see that in the way their dependence on the people they trust doesn't go away when things don't go their way. So I think that Jesus is teaching the disciples about what it means to trust God and be faithful to his word as his children. But I also think there's a little bit more to this passage, and we wouldn't be doing it justice if we didn't just dig a little bit more. You see, if Jesus were also challenging the disciples to feel a little bit uncomfortable, then it wouldn't be true to his nature as a teacher. And so what we've said about children so far is absolutely true. They're faithful and they trust so well. And we adults, we can learn from that. But I think we have to look at the way that children were viewed in this specific context and the time that this was written to really understand what it means for us today. So before we go there, let me tell you guys a little bit how things work in my family. To this day, when I go to my parents' house for a meal, they always make me get my plate first. And this is actually ironic because we ate together last night and they were like, we're hungry, we're going first. That literally never happens. And so they usually make sure that the kids, we're adults now, but the kids get their food first and then they'll go through the line and join us at the table. They always go last. And I don't think it's because they're not hungry or because the food's not good. I think it's because even as an adult, my parents want to make sure my needs are met as their child. And so if we, if Jesus was talking about becoming like a child in the way that we hope all children are treated, it would mean always being a priority. It would mean that someone else was always putting our needs before their own. It would mean that we would be taken care of and basically want for nothing, right? But as I learned more about children in this context and how they were understood, I realized this probably wasn't the case. So here's what I learned about kids during that time. Children were considered to be the weakest part of society. They were the first to suffer when there was famine, war, and natural disaster. And they were always fed last. They always went through the line last, and they got the least desirable portions of food. So simply said, to be a child in the way that Jesus said to be a child, it was not a luxury. Actually, to understand this passage in the way I think it's meant to be understood, we have to disassociate it from any form of childhood bliss. So when Jesus talks about becoming a child, in my opinion, there are two parts to this. There's this idea that we're to care about ourselves less while also relying on the Father to care for us more. So um, we're going to finish up our passage so we can kind of find our place in it this morning. We're going to go into verse 5. It says this, And whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes me. And it would be really easy to assume that as Jesus is saying this, he's talking about the child physically in front of him. Because remember, he pulled a child into the conversation 
It would be easy to just think that Jesus is one more time validating the importance of children, but I think there's actually more to it than that. I think Jesus is talking about welcoming those people who represent the metaphor that he's using when he talks about children, right? Those would be the people who are weak, who have to depend on someone or something to get by, the people who are most vulnerable, the people that we would call the least significant. These are the people that he's calling the disciples to welcome, and in that, they are also welcoming Jesus. And here's the truth. I really wanted to give you some profound wisdom this morning. Um, I wanted to offer you some places where maybe you could fit into this story, but you heard the stats. You saw the video. It has been a long week, and I am honestly really tired. This feels like the end of camp to me, and it's just like I'm exhausted every year at the end of camp. And so as I was preparing for this this morning, I just decided that I want to share with you some things that God is teaching me, Um, some things that he reminded me of as I was trying to figure out what to say to you this morning. So I'm going to share with you my heart and hope that you can maybe um, learn something from it. But we're just going to dive in. So the first thing that God reminded me of this week as I was studying this passage is that the kingdom of heaven is really happening now. So listen, I did all of this research on what the author of Matthew meant when he said the kingdom of heaven. But here's all you really need to know. He meant the kingdom of God. To him, these phrases were interchangeable. And that is a really important distinction for me because when I think about the kingdom of heaven, I think about the future. I think about what's to come, right? I think about Jesus coming back and taking me with him and making me whole and complete before the throne. And that is a good thought. But I realized that when I realized that Matthew was referring to the kingdom of God, my perspective kind of shifted. It took me back to one of the most profound things I learned in college. And it wasn't out of a textbook or in my homework. Um, We had this like really smart but really tough professor at ENC in the religion department. I feared him and I loved him. I feared him because he was so smart and I just wanted him to be so impressed by me because of that. But he was just incredibly wise and I was sitting in one of my classes, he was lecturing, and he pauses and just says this um, one thing, and it was not on topic, it was totally random, but it has stuck with me for so long. He said, if you believe that you become a part of the kingdom of God after you leave this earth, you are missing out. We are eternal. So the minute you say yes to Jesus, your eternity with him starts. That means we will never be apart from Jesus. Once we've said yes to him, We are with him forever. That is it. It doesn't stop. And this wildly changed my perspective on God's kingdom then. And then it did again this week. You see, the kingdom of heaven is literally happening all around us. It's easy. It's easy to think that the world is spiraling and we've lost God and there's no hope, right? It's easy to sit back and think that. But church, I'm here to tell you that I just don't think that's true this morning. I think if you believe that this is true... It's maybe because you're waiting on him to return and to take you to your eternal home. But if that's where you are, I think you've forgotten that you carry his spirit with you. That the kingdom of God is literally walking with you. I was reminded of my responsibility as a follower of God to give life to the kingdom of God on earth today. And if I'm not, that is not on a fallen world. That is on me. That responsibility is on me. So we take the kingdom with us, and that means the kingdom is happening today wherever we go. 
So that's the first thing that God reminded me of. And then I feel like he changed my perspective on grace a little bit. So the second thing I've learned is that greatness is found in receiving grace. Do you know that even in my job here at church, I really want to get ahead. I like desire to do well, and I want to gain status among my coworkers, and I want to be known for doing really good at my job and performing really well and That's just what we're taught, right? We've been taught to achieve and get ahead, to hustle, to earn status, to be great. But this message from Jesus about achieving greatness is so countercultural to how we've been wired to behave. As I read this story, I realize that Jesus is asking us to do the opposite. But don't hear what I'm not saying. There is certainly value in being a good steward of what opportunities God has given you. But sometimes we can become so wrapped up in who we think that we are or that we should be that we lose sight of the kingdom. In God's kingdom today, he's asking us to achieve greatness by receiving grace. Think about it. Children receive grace by getting what they haven't necessarily earned, right? Kids often don't have to bargain for their dinner or pay for their rent. Yet they get fed and are offered a roof over their head without a second thought. Children have no status apart from love and no privilege apart from what they receive. And that is grace. Getting what we don't deserve without the guilt of receiving it. We don't have to feel bad about receiving what we've been given. Jesus is asking us to stop trying to earn greatness but to allow him to consider us worthy just by taking a posture of receiving grace. That's it. That's all we have to do. And the third and last thing I've learned is that this grace extends beyond ourselves. And this really challenged me this week, and it's odd because we've literally spent this whole week in service to the kingdom, trying to be good stewards of who God has placed around us, but it honestly didn't make me feel good. It just convicted me. You see, Jesus clearly says that those who welcome the most vulnerable are really welcoming him. And I feel like we did that pretty well. We did our best to take care of people, but Jesus didn't say, those who welcome such a child for a week welcome me. Or those who welcome such a child when it's convenient for your schedule welcomes me. And I hope you don't feel like I'm coming at you because, like I said, this is what God is teaching me. So if you relate, great. If you don't, just listen to me confess because that's what I feel like I'm doing. But I had to step back this week and try to identify what are the ways that I'm caring for these vulnerable people as a part of my lifestyle. And I have to admit that I have to do better about putting the needs of others before my own. And I just keep going back to my parents' dinner table and how it's so opposite of what Jesus was trying to communicate. My parents never made me eat table scraps. They never made me get my plate last, even when I was in trouble. So in a world where children usually eat first, what does it mean for us as God's children to eat last? And I don't mean um, at the dinner table necessarily. I mean, how would things change if we decided that we wanted to receive last? That there would always be someone else in the room whose needs were more important than our own needs. How would things change The bottom line for us today is that we can achieve greatness in the kingdom of God today if we set aside our human accomplishments and receive and share God's grace. So I'm here to tell you to stop trying to perform. Stop trying to be good enough. Give life to the kingdom of God today by receiving grace and extending it to others each and every day.
we're almost done, but I just want to offer you a few ways that you can respond this morning. Um, and all I want to do is tell you some places that I found myself in this story and see if maybe you're feeling the same tug that I am. I think there are really three places um, that I've kind of found myself. And I think we can find ourselves in a posture of defeat this morning. We can decide that there's too much wrong and that there's no hope for us. And if that's where you are this morning, I would encourage you to pray, to ask God to reveal his kingdom all around you this morning. Pray that he would bring your hope back to life so that you can begin to breathe life back into the kingdom today. I think we can also find ourselves in a posture of trying to hustle, to achieve, um, to gain status. And I would ask you this morning, for what? What are you trying to prove? Who are you trying to prove something to? If you've received his grace, he's considered you worthy, and that is enough. If you find yourself trying to gain some sort of status this morning, I would just invite you to consider surrendering that to God in prayer. And finally, if you find yourself in a posture of keeping this grace to yourself, I want to just encourage you, there's more for you, and there's certainly more for those around you. And maybe you're not keeping it to yourself on purpose. Maybe you've just forgotten that there are people around you who desperately need this message of grace. And if you find yourself there, I would invite you this morning as we worship one more time um, to invite God in and to ask him to give you fresh vision for sharing his grace to those around you. Let me pray for you. God, um, we are grateful for your word this morning. And we're grateful that we can continue to learn from it all these years later and that it's, it's true and it's living and it's impactful, God. Um, I pray this morning that we would just come to you with arms open in a posture of receiving your grace so that we can be changed and that those around us can be changed. God, um, give us a passion for those in our community, for those who are vulnerable, for those who are hurting. And, just give us the capacity to extend your grace to those in need. And God, we will give you all the glory for that, all the honor for that. Um, we love you and we praise you um, for who you are and your faithfulness to us as your children. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.